One, two, three, four, I'm testing. my people welcome to yet another episode of adq's renaissance i'm your host with the most keeping hunch from coast to coast through god i boast a d q let me take off this deck on here man i look weird it is it is monday september the 29th 2020 and um I got on yellow. How I look, ladies? I look good, don't I? <laughs> it's like my hair is getting longer. So, it's Monday night. It's Monday. Oh, crap. It's Monday night, so y'all know what's going on. Y'all know what's going on. We are going to be talking about... Go theater! Yes. So let's go ahead and bring in. Let's go ahead and bring in my people who are who are going to be chitting and who are going to be chitting and chatting it up with me. You know what I'm saying? joining us from the QC. Everybody, please welcome Mr. Richard Taylor. How you doing? How you doing, Rick? All right, ADQ. How are you? Doing great, doing great, doing great. Thank you for joining us. Here's a great fact about Richard, my people. Not only is he killing it in the rehearsals as Grandpa Ray in Apprenda Espanol, but he's actually the first person who I've ever cast. Ooh. Adorable. How you doing, Ray? How you doing, Rich? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, man. Sure, great acting like yourself. I'm sure you do these interviews all the time. <laughs> no, not often. Now, also joining us all the way from India. That's right, my people. I said India, India. Please welcome Mr. Stephen S. George. Stephen, how you doing, sir? Hi, I'm really good. How are you? Doing great, man. Doing great. You know, me and me and Richard and Alice, we here in North Carolina. We just doing great theater. You're doing great theater over there. So that it is a beautiful thing. And also Yeah, join- of course. It's a beautiful thing. And also joining me. You know, this brother here, he's kind of like an on again, off again co-host you know he's kind of like a partner with with me in this please welcome all the way from the 919 mr alex lewis alex how you doing brother hey i'm good how's everybody doing sorry i'm like multitasking multitasking that's what we see the people do we multitask. It's the <laughs> in the midst of your uh, multitasking you're kind of breaking up sir and he's frozen. It's okay. Oh, is that better? 
uh, I, we can hear you, but you're still frozen. Okay, hold on, give me one second. It's all good. One of the greatest theatrical pieces ever was Frozen. Uh, get it? Um, also joining us tonight will be Miss Javetta Milton. Um, she's had a bit of a, a automobilic uh, issue occur, so she will be joining us a little later. Now, I'm gonna run down a list, and I want you all to tell me what got you in the theater, what's your proudest moment, and what are you doing right now? Michelle, you're still there, right? What? Alex, are you being theatrical and talking to yourself? Okay, moving on. So, like I said, what do you do? What's your What's your contribution to the theater? And what got you in? Starting with you, Richard. Uh, I started doing theater about 40 years ago when I was in high school and college and uh, dropped off for a long time until uh, my uh, daughter uh, motivated me to get back in. Uh, there was a play they were doing here in Charlotte about five years ago, Miracle Worker. And uh, she said to me, Dad, they got an old guy part there. Why don't you audition? And lo and behold, we both auditioned. We both got on. And uh, 20 plays later, you know, it's an addiction. I can't I can't stop. So I've been, uh, been doing a lot of work here in Charlotte, primarily over the last five years. Musical theater, straight theater. Um, I also do some voiceover work. Uh, I'm originally from South America, so I do primarily Spanish stuff. And uh, so I, I really, really appreciate you getting me involved in this because uh, uh, I've only done a couple of Latinx pieces, but I'm looking forward to doing a lot more. So, I'm grateful to have you. You are currently still on the show right now, sir. But shh, don't tell, don't tell any other, other, any other, any other, other cast members that said that. Keep it between us. Yeah, yeah just, just between me, you and Steven. Uh, Steven, I am quite sure that it is a very artistic scene over in India. Uh, what got you started in the theater? So, yeah, I'm right now doing a PhD in the Department of English from a central university in New Delhi. And apart from that, I'm practicing theater as a director, scriptwriter, dramaturg, and sometimes a scenographer in India. Nice. So what? So what? You, so what got you started? Uh, what kind of? I'm sorry. Uh, what got you started in uh doing in doing theater? So yeah, I started doing theater during my graduation. It was during my undergrad I started it, and it uh it is very unusual, but yeah, it began with street theater. If you're aware about street theater. It was more like a Brechtian kind of a technique in which we were doing street theatre in colleges, doing political plays mostly and socially relevant plays for the college. And it's during my undergrad and then I continued it to my master's and right now I'm pursuing my PhD and I'm still doing theatre. So, um, so Alex, now you're back with us. What got you started in theatre? You already told the story before, but for those who didn't watch last week, please share. Okay, yeah, sorry about that, guys. Uh, what got me started in theater? Um, I don't even remember what I said last week, but we're going to go with this. Um, go with this. Um, what got me started in theater, I 
just happened to see like um, artists like Shakira and Britney Spears and you know Michael Jackson and some other other entertainers and they got me inspired and finally um, when I came to the state I was able to um, get into the theater arts and it, it's it's that kind of weird feeling to describe of once you're on stage and how you feel and you're like um, you get you get the audience feedback it, it's just an indescribable feeling so yeah and yeah sorry I'm literally multitasking right now because I'm hearing somebody else in here but go ahead it's all good that's what we theater people do best we multitask so what got me in the theater y'all uh we all know about how you know the bug bit me when I was in fourth grade you know when I was like seven years old you know I was watching little musicals at um at um at my, at my school but what people but very few people know is what brought me back in the theater when I was when I was knee deep into Christian rap uh Christian hip-hop yo one day I was just you know sitting down watch TV just chilling stuff and then all of a sudden I see six people going 525,600 minutes I'm like what the heck what the fuck is that yo you know what I'm saying that happened and I was like I have to get involved in this and so like a year later I watched a black theater festival play over over in Winston-Salem Trey Foe in the building um and I meet Bill Cobbs. Um, for those who, for those who don't know the name, shame on you. He killed West Snipes at the end of New Jack City. He was the culture air bud. He was in episodes of Design Women. He was in the last, the most recent installment of Oz, the James Franco Oz. You know what I'm saying? He's done things. I met him. He looked at and I asked him, Sir, Mr. Cobbs, how can I have a long, illustrious uh, career? in acting like you do, sir. He looked me right in my eye and said, ADQ, stay in the theater. And I'd like to think that, every, and that was 2005, I'd like to think that ever since I've um, I've, um, take, I've taken his advice. Now, what I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about putting, putting stories on stage, I wanna talk about the background work because Rick, uh, you know how, uh, you have experienced some of my meticulous ADHD Virgo directing, right? And you and you know how I like to find the background of the story and whatnot, the background of the character. Personally, what I respect about dramaturg, Steven, is how y'all how in a lot of cases the story starts with y'all. Would you would you agree? Like in other words like in other words, when it comes to setting the time, the place, the look of the show, right? Is that what dramaturgs do? Tell people what drama. Uh, tell people specifically what dramaturgs do, please, sir. Yeah. Should I start? Did you catch that? Yeah. So. Uh... There are many functions which dramaturgs do, which, which are very separate from like some of the specific to, uh, elements of theatre is the part where 
a playwright comes in a director comes in and the actor most of the people don't know where the dramaturg comes in so for me i think the dramaturg comes in with the question of why why are you doing this why is this point like this why this gesture needs to be like this and all those questions so it is more lot of lot about contextualizing the play the setting of the play and somehow following some ground rules of the play and it is more of the discussion with the playwright and the director how they are imagining the play how they are thinking that this should be delivered and the audience should get this sometimes the director or the playwright might forget what his or her objective was but the but the dramaturg's role is to remind them every time at every juncture that this is how it needs to be done this is how the establishment of connection needs to be done and this is how you had imagined this is how you have departed maybe this is how somebody can come back and for me i think the specific part in that is dramaturg somebody can tell in a play after watching a play or maybe somebody who has like a friend coming to visit to just see a rehearsal he or she might tell you that something is a bit bland in the play something is not working fine the dramaturg's role is to find how to make it correct how to make it fine and that's why that's where the dramaturg comes in um rick rick i'm pretty sure that you in your illustrious uh, theatrical career you've had moments like that where a dramaturg came in and said uh this it has to be like this no 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 they were not wiping their nose with their left hands in the in 1956 uh mate uh what you uh, what what you think uh did you ever have to like did you ever have an experience like that with yeah uh I think I think it's uh you know it's always important to learn as much as you can about the period of the play uh the year in which it takes place um the history and so forth uh, I I don't always have dramaturgs in the play that I that I've done uh so oftentimes I will google uh the uh, I mean the first play I did Miracle Workers a uh, true life story about Helen Keller and the part I played was a historical figure so it was important for me to get familiar with who the man was historically uh, the time that he lived in the relationships that he had and and as Stephen just said because it 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 uh, informs where I'm coming from where I'm going to what's going on in the moment um I did a play uh a couple of years ago called Pearly Victorious uh which takes place in Alabama in the 60s and uh, we had a dramaturg there who spent a lot of time talking about um the you know race relations starting back in the 1890s and uh after uh you know uh people were well, the slaves were freed they became um uh 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 work what is it called they uh when they farm the land but they don't own the land uh a uh, reconstruction emancipation no uh, no what i'm talking about is that that people who a- after after free uh slaves are free they didn't they they were we were cropping 
Yeah, sharecroppers. And so it was important to understand that history to be able to understand, um, you know, what was going on in the moment in which this play was taking place. And so the dramaturg was very helpful in, in, in that instance, I, uh, precisely because of what uh, Stephen was saying. So yeah, it is. But when you don't have the the, the uh, luxury of having one, I think as an actor, it's important to do as much research as you possibly can. Uh, you know, to 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 uh, do as as you direct us to do in terms to find out what our motivation is. In this particular play that you wrote, the reason why I like it so much is because it speaks to a lot of my own personal experience living in LA and also having experienced uh, issues of people um, not necessarily understanding you uh, coming from a different culture. You know, you, you, you talk about the issues about um, Mexicans and African-Americans. Uh, oftentimes people have a uh, hard time understanding that I'm Latino because I look so Anglo. You know what I mean? So uh, oftentimes there are judgments that happen. But anyway, that, I, I, I'm digressing. Um, oh, no, 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 these go, this, this goes into, this goes into the work of the play because you have to find a rel you have to find a relatability with the character, right? Yeah, right. And Ray is me, believe it or not. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's who I am. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, my daughter's only 21 years old, so I'm not a patriarchal grandpa yet, but I tend to think one a lot, I, I guess. I, I don't know why that is, man. I guess I'm just a good actor. I don't know. I don't know why I keep getting cast in old guy roles. I must be something about my look. I can't tell. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that and the fact that you are just so great to work with. Um, well, thank you. So, uh, Steven, uh, I know that, like, <clears throat> finding, like, the background of a play, I mean, finding, like, the world of a play and stuff, it could be a bit, it could be a bit of a challenging task. I would like to ask you, what has, what was your most challenging piece that you worked on? My <clears throat> most challenging piece I worked on was a production with National School of Drama, which I did it in Delhi under Young Theatre's director program. So the play was uh, titled as Space. It was a play based on the lives of refugees, uh, specifically Rohingya Muslims from Myanmar. It was based on their lives and their struggles, how a refugee reaches a new country, their, their lives and turbulence. Now the catch in this play is, I, I was the director of the play and I decided that it will be totally speechless there will be no single dialogue in the play and there were people who were suggesting things and all but i decided that i'll be the dramaturg for the play as well so I, at every juncture i was thinking how do i make those symbolic references through gestures in a country with because we are setting the play in india in new delhi which have no connection with myanmar or their clothes or anything so how do I communicate the language with them? Because the audience will be mostly people from India. There will be hardly any refugee in that. Despite that thing, how that play connected to the people 
and it happened like there was a symbol of the key which was central to the play like every time the key would pop up in the play and the key would be a gesture of leaving something holding something so it was a deliberate and involuntary choice of something like memory and forgetting how they are forgetting still remembering through that key interestingly it was one of the audience member who came and told me that india too has a very strong sense of uh, migration or a refugee crisis which happened in 1947 during the india and pakistan partition so there were a lot of people from pakistan who came to india and there were many people who went it was more than a million of people traveling from this border to that border and from there to here so how there is something uh, it's like a box a huge box it's called sandu in hindi so how that became a very strong symbolic reference and the key itself became a strong reference and he showed me he was himself from a family which traveled from pakistan to india during that crisis and he said that even we hold a key in our home a key to a home which will never be home again but still we hold that key with us so in that process to think of that play to of that references and to uh, like produce it in 2019 it was a really difficult challenge but however it was a very short play it was not a very long play or something despite those challenges it was one of the most successful plays in my life wow you know you know i learned this from i learned this from a young lady who you who i used to uh teach in a preschool class she was also a refugee right a refugee from uganda she's nonverbal right nonverbal uh she can say a couple words but you know as far as carrying on full fledged conversation like me and you are having right now that's not right she's not available to do that right now but i learned that sometimes the most strongest forms of communication comes without words right yeah if i'm in if i'm in if i'm in new delhi you know what i'm saying if i'm in new delhi sitting there watching that piece and not hearing any dialogue going on i'm still i'm still i'm still going because i think and i'm going to see if alex agrees with me alex I think and I'm going and I would like to see I would like to get your take on it Alex. I think that some of the best acting is done without words. What do you think uh, Alex? I agree. I agree. It it's it, it got you it's more um it, it's more profound. And um I agree with you on that. because it's kind of it give you more to figure it out instead of you know going with the words it, it give you more uh it give you more of like an expansion if you know what i mean in the sense of like it can be it can be seen and perceived in many different ways yeah like um i remember during my uncg days right uh they had a show on campus called i think it was pink and purple no that's that's my friend m and it's like uh purple and blue it was <laughs> the two the two main characters were colors okay so <laughs> um there was no dialogue in it except for the narrator right but it was continuous action continuous action 
continuous action and I was completely absorbed into the, the, the play as a whole. When I first heard of it, I thought it was some corny little kid show. No, it was not that at all. No, uh, it was uh, kids would enjoy it, but it, it, it reminded me of cartoons, you know what I'm saying? Um, so Alex, uh, I gotta ask you, what has been your experience been? What's your experience been with with drama with dramaturgy? Nice shirt, by the way. Go to our heels. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my experience with dramaturgy. Um, it, it, I have had a few plays with one. I know that that I mentioned this one on uh, last week was with uh, Vent, the one that I tell you that I was playing in that cigar. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, with that uh, one, uh, we had a... Uh, hold, hold, hold. Alex, 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 Alex. Real quick, real quick. Tell yeah. Steven and Rick about Bent from your perspective. Go. Uh, well, uh, if you read the, the whole show, it's... <laughs> it... <laughs> Sorry. In my perspective, it was one of those... It was a difficult character because I play... Uh, German Nazi gore, and I technically in the show I killed uh, I killed one of the lead characters. It's kind of like a love story between these two guys that are in like a, a camp, uh, and they happen to be Jewish. Uh, my experience with it was kind of it, it, it. I wouldn't say traumatizing. It was more difficult as an actor to play those roles because it's like the completely opposite of, of me. Um, but it, it changed me to the point that I did a, such a great job that my friends that happens to be Jewish left the theater kind of, you know, they literally left the theater just petrified and, and scared and upset because of the history um, aspect of that. Uh, but it just changed me because I was able to be someone completely different from what I am and we have a stage fight too that it, it took kind of forever for me to get it right because I was so concerned about like the other actor but it, it, it completely changed me because if you if you look at me I could do like any other like you know African-American characters it was I have the question asked to me that it's kind of like was there like actual German black German Nazis in there I, I'm not completely sure, but I was the first one in this show, and it was a difficult show. It was really difficult. Dramaturgical in my experience. Dramaturgical research would allow one to know whether or not there were any black Nazis, but I, <laughs> I would, I think it's a accurate assumption that uh, there weren't any. Um, yeah, Hitler didn't like black people very much. Um, there weren't any Aryan black people that I'm aware of. No, um, but so personally, from what you personally, I'm thinking, from what you said, Stephen, what you have done is something that all of us actors should do because not all of us always have the luxury of a dramaturg to say, okay, uh, they wore, they did not, uh, black dudes did not wear locks um, in 1967, which I'm sure someone was, but anyway. Um, excuse me. Uh, Rick, outside of the outside of the world of Aprenda Espanol, you touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, 
what is like your preparation process um, for a role? Like, how do you get, how do you uh, learn your character? I always read the play. It's real important to be familiar with the play, obviously. And uh, then, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I do research on, on when the play takes place, where it takes place. Uh, um, I've, you know, oftentimes been, uh, recently I did Oliver and uh, I've played Jacob Marley in A Christmas Carol, um, where these plays take place in the 1850s in, uh, and uh, in when I did Oliver, I mean, I'm sorry, when I did Jacob, uh, when I did Christmas Carol, I also had to play Old Joe, and um, the learning of the different accents, uh, you know, because English in England has a variety of accents too. You know, Cockney is different from High Register, different from, you know, so uh, there was a lot of work that needed to be done in terms of, um, uh, portraying the character truthful, you know, to me, it's real important that when I play a role, I'm being truthful to the character. Um, acting is not imitation. It, to me, it's a, it's a form of possession. You know, I mean, I, 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 I become that character, and uh, so um, I devote a lot of time, you know, in the rehearsal process. Uh, to fine-tuning and learning where I'm coming from, where I'm going to, what my what my relationships are with the people, and uh, and and I'm a director's actor in the sense that um, you know I I I I, um, I let the director direct me, and uh, and it's I'm a collaborationist, and together uh, we all. You know, find the person that I am. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's what people do on podcasts. They talk a lot, and that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, like, like. Here's something that. Here's something that I would tell any up and coming brand new actor or director or anyone who's new to this, right? Anyone who is stepping into a universe, uh, university or an acting class or, or, or a daggone uh, internship or, uh, or, or, or a community theater, anybody who's doing this for the first time, I'm like, get this actual spirit right now. You are not pretending. You are telling a story. This story, either if it's uh, if it's like completely biographical, or if it's like completely, completely fictional, like 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 a whole civilian of people standing on their heads communicating each other with all daggone day. Either way, it's a story. Respect the story by knowing the story. You have to make sure to know the story. Otherwise, you will be ill-prepared in all ways possible. 
Excuse me. I'm over here digesting smoothie, coffee, and daggone water. I'm crazy combination, right? Um, you have to know the story, and you have to be devoted to the, and you have to be devoted to a key word that you said, Richard, collaboration. You know what I'm saying? To do theater by yourself, you can't even do a one-man show by yourself. Someone's got to handle the lights. Someone's got to play the music. Someone's got someone's got to do the director unless you do the director yourself. You know, you got you have to give you you have to submit yourself fully to collaboration, like in our piece that we're working on, Aprenda Espanol. I had my I had my vision going into this, but I knew that. I knew that I was going into this with uh, like uh, six, seven other actors, six, seven actors who know more about the Hispanic culture than I do, who know more about the Latinx culture than I do. So if y'all have any tips to throw my way as the writer and director, I'm like, yeah, uh, tell me a little something, something, because I, I'm interested in learning other cultures, and I think theater is an incredible medium to teach those cultures. Do you think? I'm saying this with I'm saying this with a panel of um, a Panaman, a Panamanian brother, an Indian brother, um, a Brazilian, Brazilian uh, El Salvadorian. Which one? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, American father, Salvadorian mother, born in Brazil. So American. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm saying this. I was just gonna say this real quick. I'm not gonna go complete. I'm not gonna go completely in politics. But yeah, I think that if uh, President Trump was sat into a theater and seen plays go on that highlight the lives of our perspective cultures, that would probably that would pro maybe take away from some of the from from some of the ignorant out of views that he has on them. Maybe, possibly, who knows. But I know that theater is very educational. With all that being said, Richard, uh, Richard, and Alex, me and y'all, uh, I know my, uh, I know how theater goes on in Winston Salem and Greensboro. You know, you uh, you do a lot of theater in Charlotte. Uh, Alex does a lot of uh, theater in Triangle. But um, Stephen, you're not only out of the state; you're out of the daggone country. You in India. What does the what does the scene the theater scene in India look like? Like what? How does it operate in, in comparison to the theater scene here in America? I think uh, one of the most primary fact about theater in India is that in India theater is a tradition, a ritual, a performance in all senses, and it is being practiced here for more than two thousand years. Like the first, uh, I I believe the first sense of dramaturgy, if Aristotle's poetics was there in the uh, in the Greek uh, in the European paradigm, there was Aristotle with his poetics, which was a classification of drama and dramatic rules and all the things. Here it was Bharat Muni with Natya Shastra. So Natya Shastra is basically the rules or the set of principles to be followed during. Uh, while practicing drama, and it is so extensive, and it is completely encyclopedic. It is a huge volume of book, and it was writ. Uh, it was written. It was uh, mainly orally transmitted, but it was in 500 BC while it was 
uh, it is said to be uh, like orally transmitted so one of the fact is that that natya shastra is like the bible for us in india when people are following the rules of acting for drama and all these things so it is more over like uh, a classical play what we call as classical theater in india then there is folk culture so in a country which has uh, like more than 2000 languages there is a strong sense of folk theater so in folk theater it is very distinguished from each and every state there is a very different culture of drama which is theater so it's called as tamasha it's known as natanki then there is uh, in kerala there is uh, theyam and all these forms of different forms of drama from assam it is very different so our theater culture itself is very different now this is these are all the traditional forms of art which are transmitted through tra- uh, traditional roles on only there are no particular set defined books on these but these are orally transmitted to di- uh, disciples it's like a guru shishya parampara or like a collaborative or a collective sense of feeling now then coming to the uh, modern theater what we know as modern theater so it was around 1952 or something that the sangeet natak academy and the national school of drama were uh, uh, formalizing and it is during that time people uh, went to rada and studied royal academic uh, royal academy of dramatic arts so people had come back from there and then there was a huge sense of uh, like modern theater was introduced so bridge beckett and all these were being done in uh, india at a uh, look osborne and all these plays of these people that was also being done now that was something around 1990s now we have uh, now what we can say is we have a lot of things in the platter when we go towards theater there is post dramatic theater then there is modern theater there is avant garde theater folk theater classical theater like it is very huge it's very huge this can be a small not even a summary but a small indication towards it here in america they say if you want to do they say if you want to make a if you want to make money don't do theater i it's <laughs> like that the perception of theater in india is quite different from that like it sounds like you know sounds like y'all hold theater in the in the ultimate reverence of which is is supposed to be held in uh, india right it's something like i can say like we call it the theater uh, of the folk theater and all these things we call it as the theater of the roots so holding on to the roots is a very important fact in that it's like a cultural thing it's a traditional thing and that's how it is practiced moreover and it is like uh it is passed on in the family in the community and onwards and very different from the said that there is not a singular kind of theater but a very pluralistic theater in india and trust me money is another problem in theater people are starving <laughs> that's that's like a universal fact well you know I, well you know one way one way um one way um 
one way that theater serves as a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, so one way, oh, one way where theater serves as beneficiary, beneficiary is one can write shows about people who are starving. One can, or someone who is starving, something, something about going out on stage and you know doing your thing, acting, performing. While you're starving, I don't know. It just replaces the hunger with butterflies because you're out there telling a story. You're part of something that's bigger than yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so I so I have so I have another question for you. All right. My question is: Say I want say I wanted to hit up uh, New Delhi. Right. And become part of the theater scene. How would how would how would me being a black guy? How would I be received? Like you'll be received with with I think there there won't be any kind of alienation towards you. It's not the same over here. There might be places where it might happen, but not in New Delhi because New Delhi is the capital of the country. And being a cosmopolitan space of two crore people, there are uh, two crore people who live in, uh, which is 20 million. 20 million people reside in Delhi. Most of them are not not locally from New Delhi. Many of them are migrant workers. There are a lot of refugees in the uh, in the capital. Then there are a lot and lot of foreigners who have come for their uh, like traveling studies and. Many other things, and there are a lot of central universities in New Delhi, so it won't be like uh, you'll have a problem. And es- especially if you walk to a place called Mandi House, so Mandi House is the capital of theatre in the capital. So it's a place where you'll meet meet a lot of characters. Frankly, you'll not meet people over there. It will be more like uh, meeting a lot of characters because everybody over there because it's the hub of theater there are many theater institutions over there theater uh, state, uh, like auditoriums and all and everybody is like in search of a director all these actors <laughs> are in search of a director like there are people who who do not talk like in a we are in a casual conversation they'll talk like uh, there is some shakespearean scene over there like and in a very different zone like they'll sit like this and they'll talk like this they'll imagine there will be hat there will be, the costume will be very different it's it's like <laughs> you can see live theater on the streets of mandi house <laughs> that's something <laughs> that's something about mandi house i Monday house, Monday house. We, uh, uh, yeah, I'm putting that down. I do have my passport. Um, okay, you know what? I'm inspired now. I might, Richard. I might, uh, I might conduct the next rehearsal saying, Richard, I need you to play grandfather. Like, is it? Oh, you, oh, you, oh, you know. Oh, dang! I'm giving away spoilers. My bad. Um, but I will definitely check that out. Shakespeare, though. Let's talk a little bit about Shakespeare. I don't like Shakespeare at all. No. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure people have different interpretations. 
Uh, I want to get y'all. I want to get each of y'all's opinions. Uh, what you think about Shakespeare, and who is your your favorite writer? Starting with you, Stephen. Oh, starting with me. Um, like uh, first of all, uh, like coming. Uh, my my background training is in the English department, so I'm a person of English literature. So Shakespeare is of great interest for me. Now, I, I my life can <laughs> cannot survive without. uh shakespeare how uh, and there are many opinion he it's uh about shakespeare i think this will be my my opinion on him like it's not that we have to say that he has the greatest uh uh the greatest playwright ever or something like that but the voluminous and the volume of his productions the plays he produced and the conflict and the sense of drama he had in it i think it's incredible something which is very very conceptual very intellectual and i think very timely especially uh, especially towards the end when he is uh, producing like what's his last play the, the tempest and all where the jewish merchants are coming in then there is idea of uh, moving towards the island the colonization concept and many other thing and so i like the conflict part in it i like it but there there can be a huge a very different sense of discussion and debate on the same mm-hmm. now coming coming to my uh, like uh, favorite writer i i tell you uh, one thing like something which encapsulates me in a drama centrally is the emotion like of course the politics the social thing the writing part the dialogues everything is very important but a play without emotions is not a play nah. that's that's a strong opinion that's however i uh, feel because emotion becomes central to theater and everything can be on spot but for emotion to bring in that is where the collaborative exp- uh, the experience of theater has to thrive itself especially that's where the dramaturg has to put in a lot of effort and the director with the actors that's one of the question like you messaged me and that's when i was thinking like what does the dramaturg does with the actor so that's something uh, uh, which i have and somebody i like a lot in writing part it's batol brech and dario fo You know, you know. Um, for uh, I want you, I want you to know, I 100% agree with you. Without, without, uh, without passion, without. I think that's what you just said. You said without passion, there's no, there's no show, right? Emotion without emotion. Emotion, emotion. My bad. Yeah. I agree. Emotion. It doesn't. It doesn't have to always be. Ah, you're talking like this. You know, you could be channeling that emotion in, in multiple ways. Either way, very integral to throw, to carry out a particular narrative. Richard, uh, to be real honest with you, I've always been very intimidated by Shakespeare. You know, me too. Uh, That's why I don't like him. Forget you, Will. Yeah. And, and it challenges. Um, The most nerve-wracking part of acting for me is 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 the memorization aspect. 
uh, going back to the to the truth of the character, uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm very uh, intimidated by by the dialogue. Now, uh, what's interesting to me about Shakespeare is is that Shakespeare is actually the the street language of Shakespeare's time. It's not actual, um, uh, you know, it's not the King's English. It's it's actually rap for the time of Shakespeare. People are talking like they were talking on the street in those days. Um, and uh, so it, it's, it, it intimidates me because I'm not familiar with it. But it's something that I, that I find challenging and would like to work more on. My favorite Shakespeare play is Midsummer Night's Dream. And the reason why it is is because my daughter was in it. And, uh, and she played Peter Quince in it. And, uh, and I was amazed by the, you know, it's like a play within a play within a play. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that play a lot too. Uh, I uh, recently did, again, two or three years ago, uh, I auditioned for Shakespeare in Love which I don't know if you're familiar with Shakespeare in Love. It's a satire about, you know, William Shakespeare. It's not, it's fiction, uh, but it was, uh, but again, it, it really deals with what I'm talking about, the historical aspect of what was going on with the globe and with, the, and, uh, with what, how the people at the time thought of theater, you know, it was, it was it was basically for the people. Uh, it wasn't something that the uh, you know cultured class uh, did. Uh, although Queen Elizabeth really liked it, so she did a lot for the preservation of it. Uh, I ended up doing Beckett instead, uh, but uh, that's always been a play that I've wanted to do is, is Shakespeare in Love um, as a segue or. Uh, you know, sort of entrance into taking that giant leap and attempting to do some Shakespeare myself someday before I die. You will. You will do Shakespeare one day and you will, you will uh, exceed all personal expectations. Alex! Come on, what's been your experience with old Billy Shakes? Sorry, now I'm literally always yours now because I finished my other call. Uh, I don't really like Shakespeare. I'm sorry. I don't really like Shakespeare. <laughs> I mean, I I really, I mean, I respect, I respect everybody who likes him. I recently did uh, Venus and Adonis um, before the whole COVID thing. It was like, a, a, we have like a stage reading. And I mean, and that's probably the only Shakespeare play that I like because I was on it, like Rick said about um, his daughter. But I just, I just don't really like Shakespeare. I'm sorry. I'm not like I don't see the whole. It doesn't catch my attention as everybody else in theater. I mean, eventually, maybe one day. Uh, but no, as of now, no, not really. It, it, mm, uh, it's, okay. it's not, uh, it's not my jam. Okay, okay, so I gotta correct you real, real quick. See, I don't like Shakespeare either. Shakespeare could, Shakespeare can, uh, and kiss it. Um, 
I, 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 okay. <laughs> I do Shakespeare plays because I feel like acting in Shakespeare plays will help me stretch myself, heighten my ability. You know what I'm saying? To me, the greatest writer to have ever existed on planet Earth is August Wilson. You don't get no better than August Wilson to me. August Wilson is to me what Shakespeare is to a lot of my to, to a lot of my theater friends. Personally, I think that the man was either high or sexually deprived when he was writing a lot of his stuff. Um, um, but I will say, I lo- I like a man some nice dream because that I like a man some nice dream also because I pl- I portrayed Theseus in it, and that was the play. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shakespeare, you got me. You got me. Bow, I got you. Yeah, I like you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to Carmen Dees for carrying me in that play. But yeah, um, also, also, I like Much Do About Nothing because before COVID hit, I was supposed to be in the production of Much Do About Nothing. I was supposed to be Paracio. Man, I was excited to do that too. Because I looked at much to do about nothing, and all of a sudden this Saturday night TNT drama, uh, the 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 possibility of it being like a Saturday night TNT romantic romantic comedy or whatever kept playing in my head, and I was like, well, shoot, Baraccio's like the he's not like the top butthole in this, but he's like a really close number two. I look forward to playing that guy, and. Also, just let also just let everybody know who's viewing this. Um, we are expecting Javetta Milton. She may not be able to come through because there has been a bit of a uh, accident, uh, vehicular vehicularly speaking. Is that even a word? Heck, I'm a writer. We writers, we make up words, right? Um, but I will. But if she does come through, I will tell y'all about Javetta. I've done several plays with her. Javetta Ray actress. And she is the director's actress because she takes direction very, very well. Like I've acted in her I've acted with her in her first play. I've uh in I've acted with her in a play where, you know, we got like a big brother we got like a little brother, big sister type relationship. Um but she was just sitting in her space, right? She wouldn't say anything. She was, she was getting herself, she was, she was getting herself in the character. She was cool and deep, you know what I'm saying? She was, she was, in, she was applying a Stanislavski method of where you put yourself into your character. You pull deep from ghosts, demons, whatever of the past, and put that into your character to affect your performance. I saw her doing it. I'm like, dang. Also, I remember once we were in a play where I had to talk the most junk to her and like my crazy side wasn't doing that because I'm like, yo, on stage, she's like my big sister. I love her, but on stage, I'm being a fuck, a straight butthole to her. Um, that's, that's the part about theater that I love is when I get to be someone who is completely not like me. Right, and I get to step into the skin of someone that has that sheds 
all Adrianisms, right? Does that make sense? Now, um, yeah. Now, yes. Stephen, we've been talking a lot. We've been talking a lot about your dramaturgical work, some of your directorial work. You've acted too, right? Yeah, I've acted too. <laughs> I mean, what have you acted? What, what's your favorite role that you performed in? Uh. Like I've not acted in last three, uh, two to three years. I'm not <laughs> wishing to act much, but yeah, I've acted in roles. And uh, I'll tell you something about a character which I like a lot. It's about uh, it's the character's name is Supanwa, and the play is named titled as Savarnu. So it's like an ensemble production by university students. So. During my undergrad, I did this play, and this character is a this character resembles a Dalit character. So, in India, Dalits are Dalit is a is was was considered to be an untouchable uh, caste <clears throat> for two thousand years or so. It was not allowed for them to study. to educate themselves to have the right to uh, the land or anything it was a very exploited and oppressive uh, oppressed caste and it was due to the caste system in india it uh, these kind of sanctions were happening and they were the most deprived so it was only after india became independent in 1947 and due to the great role of dr b r ambedkar who was the law minister and the constitute the the head head of the constitution who made the constitution of india because of which untouchability was abolished from india and after that untouch uh, and it was the right to equality was instated so it before that the dalit caste couldn't even enter the temples they couldn't uh, drink from drink water from a well which the upper caste mostly brahmins and thakurs would drink now this play was set in 2000 uh, it was more or less set in uh, uh, the contemporary period so we we did it in uh, 2016 17 so it was set somewhere in 17 and it was showing how till today that untouchability is being practiced both in the village and in the city it's just that the form of uh, exploitation and oppression has changed because the constitutional rights are there so it was a character which is, who is innocent and it is due to his innocence he asks few question he asks questions about where are we in the history and that is a character which uh, which made me go very deep inside to both the idea of india where the idea of india come from comes from and second to the idea of the body because it is untouchability is practiced like uh, something like uh, one cannot see them one cannot touch them and all so how does your body reflects that thing when you belong to a caste which is not which is considered to be untouched uh, untouched for thousands of years and it's it's more like that innocent character has come into the age it is more a character who is realizing that how this exploitation is working on in the hands of the brahman thakurs and banias uh, through both the 
Yeah, I was born right there. <laughs> I mean, shoot, Richard here, he's El Salvadorian, but he was born in Brazil. So, you can be whatever you want to be. Okay, I want to be a B in there. Can I be there? Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay, so Okay, so here is Steven tell that story about um Hearing Stephen tell that story about about laws and political effect and political effects that took place in India and stuff, do you ever find yourself wanting to introduce a story like that about Pan about Panama to a uh, to an American audience? Um, I know that a few years back there was some musical that I hear about actually about like Panama. It was like called Panama the Musical. Uh, yeah, I I didn't pay too much. I didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to it because it was produced by an American um, writer and producer that lived back home. But um, really good. It seems really really good. But if I have to explain that to an American audience. I probably will not be the writer because there's so much history to put into one production, and it will probably be like a two-hour show with the whole thing. Because, like, every single person that I almost as soon as they meet me, either they have no idea or no clue where Panama is, or they confuse it with Panama City, Florida, or they like, oh, there's a canal in there. So I think I will obviously implement the Panama Canal. Um, I don't know. While you guys were talking, I was gonna ask you all a question. I'm like, so are we? Are you guys getting inspired with this whole COVID thing? Are we gonna do like a 2020 um, type of, of of show or anything that you guys have been working on with this whole situation that we have going on? And I know I kind of skipped the question that you asked me because I am not a writer, but yeah. Well, you know, and it's open for anyone. Well. Okay, so you say okay, so you say you're not a writer, but if you ever find yourself talking to yourself, mm -hmm. if you ever find yourself making a lie to yourself, 
You're a writer, sir. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, Richard, do you think you got? Any, do you think you got any write? Uh, do you think you got any uh, writer uh, juices inside of yourself? I, 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 uh, I don't know if I have the patience to sit down and write a whole play. I'm too impatient. I, I, you, you see my, uh, you see my Facebook, so I tend to write uh, two or three pointed sentences and I try to uh, yeah, try to economize as much words as I can. I do want to mention something to, uh, to Stephen's point about the untouchables in, in India and how, uh, if I understood you correctly, playing one of those characters impacted you or affected you. And it got me thinking about homeless people in the United States in terms that they're invisible. You know what I mean? People don't even know they're there. They just walk right by them. And, and it got me thinking what it would be like to play one of those type of characters in, in a play. You know, a homeless person, which is a human being, they're alive, they got, you know, they, they have a history. They came from somewhere. They have mothers and fathers and so forth but to the rest of society they're like the they're like the untouchables you know they're they're invisible and um i think you know there's a story there uh, sometimes though i think though the difficult part in writing a story about that sort of thing is that it becomes uncomfortable for the audience you know, because it's an uncomfortable subject. So the key is to make, uh, to be able to write something like that, that engages and and um, and interests an, an audience. Um, right before COVID hit, uh, I was cast in um, A Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Mm -hmm. And uh, we rehearsed all the way up to tech. And, uh, and that's when, you know, the uh, proverbial poop hit the fan and we, we had to suspend the production. We did everything right up to the last minute. And um, uh, that's a very, very interesting play because, you know, uh, the script that we used for it also included some, some dramaturgy in it. And, and I don't know if y'all were aware but, but this play had three different versions that were staged. And it was because um, the, first, the, first, the first rendition that uh, Tennessee Williams wrote just wasn't considered commercial enough because it was an uncomfortable subject. And it was due to the influence of Elia Kazan, the director, that convinced them to do some changes in the script, uh, which is difficult as I'm sure you would understand as a playwright to allow someone else to, you know, give their input on what they think you should, how you should rewrite this play. But by following Ellie Kazan's advice and bringing Big Daddy into the last scene, uh, it, it made it a, a, a commercial success. However, he still rewrote it a third time after that. 
and the 1974 version was different than the 1955 version and and so on and so forth so you know uh i guess what i'm saying is that sometimes difficult subjects can be written in such a way that it can be commercial and by commercial i mean that it has an audience you know we were talking earlier about actors making money uh i love acting i love doing theater i i i do it for free or i prefer to be paid for it but if i'm not being paid for it i'll do it for free because i love the the um just just the artistry of it and uh and uh, you know sometimes uh characters we play uh are not necessarily sympathetic characters but sometimes those are the most interesting characters to play um uh Diana Bourbano which I think you know who was a Colombian playwright who I think recommended you to the a lot of the Latinx actors here in Charlotte yeah right? her yeah yeah she uh wrote a play called Ghost of Bogota which uh she did here in Charlotte which was uh spiritual realism you know and and I played this was about Colombian um Americans raised in the United States but being from Colombia going back to Colombia for their grandfather's funeral and their grandfather was the character that I played was a ghost who had been with molested them all as a child and had been a a pedophile and he just refused to die because he didn't want to go to hell and and this was not me you know this is not who I am as a person but it was probably the most interesting character I ever played just because as you said uh was such a complete opposite of me and uh um and there was a lot of evil in the man but but what was interesting about it is that typically I like applause and I like people laughing at my jokes you know when I do a play like Ray Codigan has is a is a funny part mm-hmm. this play nobody was uh you know nobody was wishing me well at the end you know what I mean <laughs> yeah they, they were cheering for me when the play ended but it was definitely the most interesting character I played yeah. You know, you know, um <clears throat> first of all, by hearing that story, you know, um kids uh who were from Panama but raised in America going back to Panama I mean not Panama, my bad Alex, uh Colombia. Yeah. We're going back there to uh bury somebody and whatnot. That is putting an idea of kids who were who are black kids going back to Africa to take care of something ancestral and stuff. I want I want I want to credit them, all right? If you write this play, I want to say partially inspired by something, you know, uh Ricardo Taylor Rivera told me. You'll get that and you'll get that and you'll get your uh three dollars of three dollars three dollars royalty. Okay. It's a buyout. Gotcha. Um but <laughs> You know what bugs me about commercialization? Everybody does the same thing and everybody plays it safe, right? 
I don't like playing safe. By me being a black playwright, putting up a play called Aprenda Espanol, that in itself is not playing it safe to me. Right. Um, yes. The what I did with my first, what I did with my first play that I put up time, all the language that I, that I said in there and stuff that I put in there, that one playing it safe. I do not believe in playing it safe. I don't go for. Okay, this is going. Okay, there's a there's a scripture I forgot I forgot uh, I forgot where it said. I think it's in the book of Matthew. I don't know everybody's beliefs, but there's a scripture where you know um, you know Jesus looks at all the ninety nine looks at ninety nine. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus talks about ninety nine sheep that were and I'm going somewhere with this ninety nine sheep who were saved, but he was more interested in that one unsaved sheep. It'd be great if 99 people came to my play, paid $20 to get in, sat back and had a grand old time. Commercially, financially, that'd be wonderful. But I care about that one person who that who may get something out of it. Because if you look at my plays, which are on YouTube, and, uh, please like, comment, and subscribe. YouTube, Adrian Quarles. Anyway, uh, if you look at my plays... There's a lesson in all of them, right? And I just care about whoever may get something from it. Because, again, theater is educational. I'm just, it, it's not just there to, you know, make you laugh, give you something to do for, like, two hours on a Thursday, on Friday night. No, it's educational, right? Yeah. Excuse me. Never drink coffee in a smoothie and water before doing the before doing the podcast. Um so sometimes in order to give you root substantive education in the theatrical piece, you gotta you gotta take risks. And one thing for sure about me, and you'll and Rick, you'll learn more about this as we go further into the rehearsal process. I believe in taking risks very much um alex when did you ever have when 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 was your most uh when did you have to take like the biggest risk on stage other than ben oh um wow that's a good question hold on i'm trying to remember all the shows that i have done Uh, while you're thinking about that i'll give you my i'll give you my biggest risk Physically, yes, please do, please do, please. Yeah. Do. Now, now I want to point out right there, right now, y'all ain't never, ever, 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 ever gonna see me in a dress ever again. By once, again, by once, put on silks. <laughs> I once put on silks and a big old parachute. Shave all my beautiful facial hair off. Portray Mother Ginger in the Nutcracker. No, 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 no. Do not form that picture in your mind. I look booty ugly. I look uglier than someone who had three lazy eyes and uh, only had four teeth in their mouth. I look every single type of ugly you could think of. 
but that's one risk that I've taken. So, Alex, Alex, did you come over okay. here? I got something. It was, I did a, it was kind of like a Halloween show. Right. It was called Strange City, and it was kind of like the first immersive show that I have ever done. And uh, most people think that I'm an extrovert or I'm an introvert. I think the risk for me is the fact that you're in a small space with all these people. Kind of like, you know, like a Halloween attraction. You have people coming in and out. And I was playing uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Casava Montilado, I think. I was Montresor. The reason that I was taking, it was like the first time that I have ever done an immersive theater. And I'm not really comfortable with people that are not like, you know, just the audience being like so up close to you. And you're trying to play somebody that just killed his friends and it's just, you know, just building a, a wall for them. So the reason that I took is try not to freak out every night to <laughs> make, make it seem that I'm scary. Um, it, I mean, it was uncomfortable at first because you're in such a tight space between people and try not to seem that you're scared but I'm scared that somebody's just like you know like two feet behind me obviously it was a scary spooky thing and um, I have to work with like bricks all over the place it was in um, downtown Raleigh uh, for Sonoros Roads and and now I think it's I forgot the name of the theater now but uh, Pure Life they're called Pure Life now um but yeah, that was the reason that I took because I have never done a, an immersive, um, immersive theater itself like that, and it was, it was risky for me because I I got to a point during the performance that I have like three, four, five different people following me around, and I'm like, yeah, this is great, this is part of the entire show, but I'm still so uncomfortable that you're feel like I know you're following my character, not stalker or anything like that, but it's just as an actor, it takes you. It took me out of my comfort zone completely, um, but I kind of got gratified when I pop up in, in one, in another scene and I freak out somebody, but that was part of the job, not that I do. Okay, I wanted to do it. I wanted to freak out somebody because I was already freaking out, but yeah, that was the reason that I took in my theater experience so far mm. that I can remember. Oh, that's, the, that, that's a risk. I, you know what? I would have been... I would have had to deal with. I had. I would have experienced that with, um, with um, uh, much ado about nothing because that's the way, uh, Goodly Frame Theater here in Greensboro is set up. Uh, so Richard, what's your biggest? What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Um, in well, you know, um, um, every time I do a musical, I swear I'm not going to do another one. <laughs> and, and the reason <laughs> is. If I'm not a dancer, right? Me neither. But they always want you to dance. And, and we're movers, Richard. We're movers. We move. Yeah, well, and, 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 and <laughs> you know, I can move. Not, that's not a problem. And so we can move to a rhythm. Then you got I, uh, the first musical I auditioned for here in Charlotte was Oklahoma. Because I had done it once, you know, in high school years ago. And I, I wanted to do it again. And... And I told the director right off the bat, you know, I, I don't don't make me give you a dance audition because I don't dance. And and the director said, fine, no problem. And 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 wow. 
and then this is what this is like like the second show I did here in Charlotte and, um, and the, you know I wasn't familiar with the with the theater the theater the cast and director wasn't familiar with me and and they just offered me a generic uh, farmer part because they wanted to make it multi-generational they wanted to have kids and as as the play progressed one of the leads got injured and so then I got moved up to Cordelia. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, the choreographer wanted me to dance. And he had me square dancing. And just the whole rehearsal process was, was uh, nerve wracking for me because I just, you know, it, it, it's just, I, I want to be good at what I do. And I just don't think I'm good and dancing, but this was a very good choreographer, and uh, so he he got me to dance, and and it was it was fine, so fine that that you know next I auditioned for Fiddler on the Roof, same choreographer. Uh, I was I was playing a rabbi there, but he got me to do you know the go scene. It wasn't actual you know wasn't ensemble dancing, but again it's you know choreographed movement. But every time I've had to do a musical, I've always swear, and I've done four now. So, you know, I keep saying I'm not gonna do another one, but then, you know, 1776 comes along. And, um, but that's, that's always been frightening to me, and it's a risk to do it. The other thing I wanna say is one of my very first auditions, uh, I was asked to improv. And I wasn't used to that, and and it freaked me out uh, when someone just asked me to, you know, improv something. Uh, I've since taken improv classes, and you know, and, and 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 I thought that was a real valuable experience because to be an actor, you have to, you know, let down your walls and just, you know, let yourself go. Um, and I can do that, and and I can sing, so it, it's okay with musical theater, but I'm still scared of, uh, of dancing. So I hope that answers your question. It so does. So um, before I ask Stephen, what was his biggest risk? So I have not been in a musical since 2017 and I miss it. I want to be in another musical so bad. Would y'all like to know the musicals that I've been in up until this point? Sure. Yes. Y'all wanna know? You wanna know, Steven? Y'all wanna know? Okay. Here's the musicals that I've been in. Damn Yankees. Susicle. Back to the 80s. I, my, uh, I did a solo. Love Shack. I got me a car that's big as a whale. Uh, let's see. Uh, dang, I'm thinking. Sheesh. Um... I'm sorry, my brain is acting 35 right now. Um, let's see. Uh, Andy, get your gun. There's no business like show business. Um, what else, what else, what else, what else? The Music Man. Okay, so the traveling salesman, they were like, talking to a rhythm, talk to a rhythm, to a rhythm. Me, I was rapping. He's just a bang, beat, bell, ring, a big old red gold nigga, another rip roar, every time bullseye salesman. Anyway, um, I was also in Fiddler on the Roof. Look, I am. 
Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Um, came here. <laughs> came here. Uh, when I moved here to Greensboro, I was in Godspell, right? Richard, would you like to know who I played in Godspell? Jesus. I should have been Jesus. But no, I was your most favorite president ever. Richard Nixon? <laughs> Not even close. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Okay, so two girls were sitting on stage. They had their knees across across from each other and they had their arms up for me to sit on them when I was supposed to sit on the chair, but that was their idea, whatever. Another girl, uh, you know, was sitting at the sitting at the bottom of the table with a sign up. I sat down with the biggest scowl on my face like this, and then she flipped up the sign and it said "Trumples," and I had a crazy wig on. And I just did this. You're fired. The audience roared in laughter. Hey, the director Brian Conger said uh, said uh, during the table read. Who will feel comfortable playing Donald Trump? I raised my hands so <laughs> And he said, wow, that would be really funny, a, a black guy playing Donald Trump. Complete disclosure here, uh, Alex and Steven. Uh, Richard Dixon and Donald Trump are not my favorite presidents. Just, just. Oh, they're not mine either. <laughs> I, I just, I just kind of went like silent because I'm like, why are we talking about this man? Can we change the topic about this man? Because just, he was. Let's because, not even go there. Because the caricature of him is in mm -hmm. Godspell. <laughs> That's okay. That's why you just skip it right through. So yeah, no. <laughs> you just yeah. Moving on, I was in another Sondheim. I was in another uh, Steven Schwartz musical. Right after that, working. Off on a delivery, but my son was brother trucker. Um, after that, I was in daggone. After that, I was in uh, 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 Annie, and then and then Barnum. And I haven't been in any in any other musical since then, and I miss it. But hey, it was very risky singing solos because I used to think that my singing was dog crap, right? But apparently that was true because I was that, you know, you're never fully dressed without a smile. So Steven, what is like the biggest risk you take it on stage? I'll, <laughs> I'll answer this question in a different way. I'll tell you, doing theater itself here is a huge risk. It, that's the biggest risk. You never know that you'll be sabotaged, you'll be lynched, you'll, Anything can happen over here and especially in the last six years it has been very difficult to do theatre, to be vocal about anything, especially doing political plays on sensitive issues and everything. It has been very difficult. So that itself is the biggest risk, let alone the other small or uh, <laughs> other kind of, there has been different kind of challenges on stage and everything. But over here I'll tell you that doing theatre itself, breathing itself has been the biggest risk. So, 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 uh, I, I want to ask a question about that, and um, if your answer will get you in trouble, you don't have to go into detail, but if you were to, like, do political theater, could that, like, um, have governmental eyes looking at you? Of course, of course. 
the institution is looking at you your family is looking at you and then there can be mobs on the roads who are looking at you who are the most frivolous kind of people who can do anything and you never know well you know what man uh, my hats off to you for uh, going out there and telling the truth as you see fit because uh, you see here in America here in America we we like to think that we have freedom of speech but we use what what whatever freedom of speech we do we 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 um we criticize our governments and officials all the time you know what I'm saying frivolously all the time um I know that there's countries where you can't do that right yeah so if that's the case over where you're at but you're still you know using you're still using your voice to uh carry out stories and stuff i man i say rock on and from uh here from north carolina you definitely got our support thanks bro man hey theater we are a big large huge theater family now yeah <laughs> We're a theater family from coast to coast, from coast to coast, from sea to shining sea. Now, as we start to wrap up here, unfortunately, Javetta and Lindsay have not been able to join us. Crazy thing about Lindsay is she's almost like my exact twin because she's like two days younger than I am. September 1st, September 3rd, her. It'll be great to talk to her, but we'll get her in another time. Javetta, um, we wanted to get her in another time because I think she has a wonderful story to tell. But um, but as we start to wrap up here, Stevie, what does the future hold for you? What? What does the future hold for you? Future of the world. No, the future. What does the future hold for you? Oh, what, what does the future, future hold for? Oh, 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 it's so it's. <laughs> uh, it's theater then <laughs> where anything can happen and it will be driven by conflicts I'm sorry say that one more time I'm saying that uh, if you're asking this question then the future <laughs> will be like theater and it will have unprecedented things and many kind of emotions which will be driven by conflicts Got you. Wonderful answer. Wonderful answer. Um, Alex, same question. What does the future hold for you? Um, more auditions. More auditions. Uh, shows coming up. I have a show that hopefully next year it will happen. Um, yeah. So hopefully you can come and see it whenever that comes up. So, and the show is Shrek the Musical, so, Shrek the Musical 2021, we'll see when, I wish, my friend's playing Duncan, I, 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 I hate him right now, but it's okay, um, no, I'm playing, uh, the White Rabbit, uh, Dulog person, a Gar, and a Knight, so I'm in, like, six different scenes or something like that, Once the costume um, changes. we were actually gonna, we were gonna, oh gosh, yes, man, Man, I was wow. I'm excited about the challenge though, but hopefully we could, you know, depending on with this whole COVID thing and the guidelines, 
um, hopefully we can go back to it. So 2021, that's the future so far for me. So we'll see. Okay, and uh, Richard, what's the future hope for you? Well, you know, this COVID thing is really has really, you know, uh, yeah. put a big question mark in, in, in what's going on. Uh, this is definitely a crossroads year right now. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a dramatic reading uh, in uh, November called Aprender Español. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, it's going to be uh, coming out, written by uh, uh, Adrian uh, Dion Coros. Oh, yeah, watch out for that. <laughs> <laughs> also, oh, yeah, what's the day? What's the day again? I'm sorry. What's the day? November 6th, I think it is. And uh, I'm also oh, okay. thank uh, you, thank doing uh, a trailer uh, for a, uh, a miniseries called Solomon, uh, where I'm playing a uh, Mississippi uh, 80s era fire chief, which is also a, a biracial play, uh, which uh, uh, I'll be doing in November. And been doing a lot of dramatic readings. A lot of we have a lot of people here that uh, just do a lot of Zoom readings of a lot of different plays. And I'm just trying to keep my skills up until you know this whole thing passes. And hopefully, you know, we'll go back. Um, very involved in Theater Charlotte here. Um, also involved uh, with uh, a few other. Uh, companies so we're just waiting to see what the uh future holds in the, in the meantime just just doing this kind of stuff and and trying to keep my my skills up and uh, you know uh, as long as there's uh old guys to play i'll be there to play yeah. <laughs> i'm actually very young for my age but uh, um richard sure Richard, I assume that uh, I assume that uh, Alex and Steve. I uh, know Alex is younger than me. Uh, Stephen, how old are you? I'm 24. 24. Okay, you're the youngest one. Um, theater. When you're in theater, you're ageless. You know what I'm saying? You you, you, you don't you don't age. You just don't. You're, you're young forever when you're in theater. That's what we call it. Plays. We play. Exactly. And plays. <laughs> And playing heightens the spirit and whatnot, and you know, just keeps you going. So it's never, never too late to have a happy childhood. Exactly. Ready for, ready. See, Richard, you just throwing out, you just throwing out gems right now. So <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so my future. I'm just throwing it out there, um, and I'm going to be throwing it out on every episode. Number one, um, number one, I got this reading going up on November 6th, 8 o'clock. Um, What's it called, man? What's it called? Uh, it's called Learn Spanish, but it's in, but it's, but it's um, translated in Spanish. Uh, Aprenda Español. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, dope cast, incredible cast. Uh, I think you, I think you, I think you may be somewhat familiar with it, Rick, uh, Richard. Um, but yeah, it's going up uh, November 6th, um, 8 p.m. Zoom and YouTube. 
Um, it's the third play that I've released to the world. I'm very excited about it because I'm taking a risk with it. I said, hey, I'm a black dude. I know black stories and whatnot. I'm stretching myself. Let's see if we can get some Latino stories up in this, uh, some Latinx uh, stories up in this month. So, I got that going on. I am going to continue to push to make ADQ's Renaissance the dopest podcast in the history of the world. Um, I'm pushing to get a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I only have 32. Please like, comment, subscribe. Um, and share. And share. And share. And share. <laughs> Don't sunny it. Share it. Um, what else do I got going on? Just writing, man. Just writing, uh, participating in whatever readings and uh, plays I can get my hands on. Uh, like you said, uh, Rick. Like you said, Rick. Uh, just saying, sharp. Trying to uh, read the August Wilson book, uh, the August Wilson play, some guitars, and memorize some monologues and stuff. So yeah. Um, but one thing that we have all learned from this, one thing that we can all learn from this conversation. Be a dramaturg. You know, you may not have the position, but you definitely have the task when you're going to the show. Know the background of your character. Being in theater is not just, hey, I got a script. Let me learn these lines. It's way more than that. It's way more than that. It's all about the work. You have to do the work in order to give a full-fledged, feasible performance. Not only that, but I think also take risks. This man is taking risks, telling, telling, um, telling substantive stories in his homeland of India. We're all taking, we all have taken risks in one way or another. Playing a Nazi and you are a, and you are Panamanian, Panamanian and black. That's a risk right there, definitely. Um, so take risks. Don't be afraid to take risks. Forget about the commercial value. Go for the uh, go for go for the artistic value. That's what I believe in. So I'm gonna go down the line of y'all again. How can people contact you um, if they want to read your play? On uh, they want to read your play. If they want to cast you. If they want to work with you in any medium. How can they contact you, Stevie? You first. My my email. Uh, they can contact me through Facebook. They can find me on Facebook with my name Stephen S. George. Otherwise, the easy method is to contact me through the email, which is Stephen S T E V E N S G nine six at the rate gmail dot com. And um, yeah, that. Alex, how can people contact you? Um, they can contact me on my website. If you go to alexlightup.com and you can just click the link to my uh, other social medias in there. Gotcha, gotcha. Richard, you? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Richard J. Taylor or rick.taylor9 at aol.com. Okay, and if you want to contact me, my email is adq4price at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Dion Chocolate God 85 
Um, I'm on Twitter as Avenue ADQ underscore 85. And I'm on Facebook. I mean, we're Facebook Live right now. So if you don't know how to spell my name, you really need to get the back of your neck. You know, go uh, punch yourself in the chest three times. But I'll just go ahead and spell it since it's going audio uh, later on. A-D-R-I-A-N-D-I-O-N-Q-U-A-R-L-E-S. Please don't call CIA on me. Fellas, um, one day, one day y'all will get to see, y'all will get to learn the incredible story of Miss Chevelle Milton, but you know, car trouble happens, you know, we just roll with the punches and stuff, but, um, I really do hope that you, that all y'all get a chance to work with her in the future, she's incredible, uh, Lindsay, um, um, I hope to go out of go out to California and work with her in some way. She's also a dramaturg. But other than that, thank y'all very much for your time. Um, all and remember, Aprenda Espanol, November 6, twenty twenty, eight p.m. YouTube and Zoom. Check it out. Um, does anybody have anything else they'd like to add before we uh before we clock it out for the evening? I just gotta say that in Spanish. Go ahead. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, vengan todos a ver Aprender Español el día 6 de noviembre de 2020 en YouTube, uh, a donde se tiran mucho. Es todo. Love it. Love it. Órale, Jones, ponte trucha que ahí viene la jurese. I know what you said. I know what he said. This is great. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Also, another thing real quick. Another thing real quick. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, I may be doing a coverage of the debate. <laughs> Do my own little commentary on the debate. Uh, Thank you, the battle. We'll see. Now, I want to say this real quick before we go. Republicans, be nice Democrats. Democrats be nice to Republicans. Let's all play nice. Because speaking as an independent, I think y'all, I think all y'all tripping. My opinion. Anyway, I'm ADQ. This has been ADQ's Renaissance. Thank you, Steven. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Rick. Uh, thank you all for watching. And yo, we'll holler at y'all next time. Deuces. <laughs>